All right, everybody, good to see you guys. Welcome this morning officially to New Life Church. Great to see everybody here on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, great weekend to be a part of what is about to happen for our kids this week. Uh, let me invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to be continuing in our... We've been in a series called Revival God Encounters. And we've covered a number of different stories and interactions with different people in the, in the Word that um, had encounters with God as a result, uh, changing their life and the generations to follow. Uh, let's look at this in Luke 24. We're going to look at verse 13. And I believe you can follow along on the screen with us as well. He says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers, everyone say Jesus' followers, they were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, and as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And jump over to verse 28. He said, By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Verse 32. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gone, or excuse me, who had gathered with them, and who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Verse 35. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Let's pray over God's word today. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this opportunity as we are here together in your name, in your presence. Thank you for stirring our hearts as we have praised and worshipped you and just drawing our hearts closer to you and opening up our lives in a way so that you could fill it, so that you could fill each and every one of our lives. And now as we go to your word, we thank you. You have something to teach us, something to say to us that will no doubt challenge us and convict us, but also encourage us and bring transformation to our lives to become more like you, Jesus. So I pray now and ask you to anoint your word, anoint me as I preach it, teach it, and share it. Help us all, God, to get what we need to get from it, to be on the path in a closer way with you, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody agree, can say amen. 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 I, I want to talk to you today in this subject, in this, in this series, uh, Revival God Encounters. Today's message is called Jesus Follower. Jesus Follower. So you got these two, these two disciples uh, as you go through the story, you see that only one of them, only one of their names is mentioned. Cleopas is, is, is the name mentioned. The other one is not mentioned. There's no name there. And it's the only time that you can find their name uh, in, 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 this, uh, in the New Testament about what's going on here. And in this particular story picks up on the same day of the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. So just a couple of days earlier, three days earlier, Jesus was crucified. That week prior, he, was, he rode in on the donkey to Jerusalem, and uh, then he was, he was betrayed, he was arrested, uh, he was put on trial, he, he was put to death by, by crucifixion. And, um, and so they, the uh, followers of Christ, women of, that were in the, his group, went to the tomb early to, to get his body ready and, and, and prepare and all these things, and he was not there. He was nowhere to be found. And, and so it, later on that day, this story picks up, and you got these two disciples. They were taking a seven-mile walk to, uh, to, uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Uh, and it says it takes about, took them about, uh, about two-hour walk is about the average pace they kept to walk the seven miles. Not too bad. You ever gone, uh, been in a, in, a, in a place in life where, or maybe a, a moment in, in life where, where you just said, you know what, I need to go, I need to go take a drive, right? I need to just go for a walk. I need to get out, clear my head. Need to kind of clear my thoughts, need to kind of get a grasp on what's going on, kind of back yourself up from the situation and get a better perspective of what's happening. And in and, and hopes of perhaps yourself will be in a better state of mind and you can w- approach the situation or the person or, or the people or whatever it is you might be dealing with at the time in a better way and hopes that things will turn out in a better, in a, in a, in a better way than it had gone before. And uh, so these guys, had, were, they, just, they had gotten to this place. Things weren't turning out like they wanted or like they had hoped, like they thought. And so they began to, to, they were leaving Jerusalem. That's where all the action had taken place. That's where everything had gone down in the last week. And specifically in the last three days, they were, they, they were just going to get away from the action. And they were going to, in other words, sort of a part about them where they were just going to go back home. Uh, play it safe where the Jews didn't know them, people didn't know who they were, who they were associated with. And so they, they pick up, and they're walking, and they're taking this journey. And, um, and it says they, as they began to walk and take this two-hour walk, this two-hour journey back home, they began to talk and reason amongst themselves. They were just two of them on their own, talking back and forth about the events, about everything that went down. It was a pretty, uh, pretty horrific time. Uh, that, that, that they were, had experienced. And, um, and so they were just kind of reasoning amongst themselves. And, and here they were in life. They found themselves in this place where they had a lot of questions. Because they, they were told Jesus, they saw him, he was arrested, he was betrayed, he was crucified, he was buried in a tomb. And then he were told on that Sunday morning, hey, he's nowhere to be found, his body's not here. We don't know where he's at. An angel said that he's alive uh, but we don't know where, they, where his body is. And so uh, they had these questions. They were perplexed. They, they were wrestling with their emotions. Anybody ever wrestle with your emotions? If you don't, then you ain't real. You, you need to pinch yourself right now. Make sure you're not, not dreaming. But yeah. And they had struggles. Anybody have struggles? I know probably not here in this church. Nobody's got struggles. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't really happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's where they were. They, they, they were wrestling with their emotions. They were struggling, trying to just get a form of understanding about what, what was going to happen now. What was life going to be like? What was life going to shape up to be for them now that they don't know where Jesus went? They were alone. They felt alone. They felt like 
Was this all a hype? Was this all a hoax? What was, what was the deal? And then as they were on their journey, talking to themselves, reasoning amongst themselves on their own, in the thick of their struggle, Jesus shows up and begins to walk with them. Now, keep in mind, the story tells us that they did not recognize who he was at the time. Their eyes were kept from really, truly being able to see who he was. God didn't allow them to recognize him at that moment. But he began to walk with them. And he picks up and he's, and he's listening to their conversation. And he asks them, hey, what has happened in your life that has gotten you in this place of sadness? What has taken place in your life that has gotten you in this place where now you're leaving everything that you had given your life for? Everything that you abandoned and now that you gave up to, to whatever it was you were doing. All this life, all this action, all this stuff. Apparently something was going on. And Jesus is asking them this. What has happened in your life to get you to this place? Now you're going to go in this direction. And they look at him they stop and they're like, You've got to be the only person in this entire place that does not know what happened to this man named Jesus of Nazareth. And they're talking to Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus, but Jesus knows it's him, and he knows what's going on, okay? And he's there. And they're like, you're the only, you got to be the only guy around. you got to be the only person alive that doesn't know what has happened. Anybody ever been in a conversation with somebody like that? They're just clueless. You seem like, it feels like they're just clueless about the reality of the situation. Nobody has ever been in a conversation like that. Maybe you've been in a conversation with yourself like that, and you're like, maybe I just don't know what's going on. <laughs> and so they, they're asking, they say that to them, and they said, you know, Jesus, this man, he was a powerful prophet. He did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher. He was well-known. He was great. But then our leading priest and all of our religious folks around, they, they, they had him arrested and tried and put to death and crucified. And then, to top it all off, some ladies from our group, some women from our, our, our group, the followers of him, came to us and said, hey, he's not in the tomb. His body's nowhere to be found. We don't know where he is. So if you can imagine, they find themselves in this place where, where their hopes and their dreams and their ambitions, and they, they told him, hey, we thought, we had hopes that Jesus was going to rescue and redeem all of Israel. You see, they had it in their mind. A lot of them had it in their mind that Jesus was going to do something a certain way according to their plan. And it was never about their plan. It was always about God's plan. Because as you know, God's plan is always much bigger, much brighter, much bolder than our plan. You see, if we let God work things out in our life, He works things out better than we could ever try to work them out. See, we got some good thoughts. We might have some good intentions about working through life and working problems and working situations. But if we will just let God take over, come on, if we'll get our ornery self out of the way, if we'll get our prideful self out of the way, I know I'm not talking to anybody, I'm just talking to myself. We'll just get ourselves out of the way. And when we think we know, no, I got this, God. I got it. I can figure it out. I can make it happen. I know what I need to do. I got myself in. I'll get myself out. Got myself in. Get myself out. And he's like, how much longer are you going to try to keep getting yourself in and getting out? Right? 
And if we'll just let God work his plan, work his will. We sing, sang the song, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's not just some, some stuff written in, the, in this book. That is, that is the heartbeat of God. He wants his kingdom to shape us, to be strong in us, to be the structure in us, to be the, the shape of our life because his kingdom is better than our kingdom. His kingdom never ends. In fact, it says his kingdom is unshakable. Come on, can you imagine your life if the wind blows and the fires come and the storms come up against your life, but you are unshakable? That is the kind of promise that Jesus gives us. If we will just quit trying to flesh it out in our own self. Come on, somebody. If we will just let his kingdom work in us. And so they thought we had these hopes, man, that Jesus was going to do it like this. And then he's nowhere to be found. He's absent. He's vacant. He has left the building. And so Jesus kind of has a strong word for them. And he's like, oh, you guys are foolish. Now, still, they don't know it's Jesus. They haven't gotten that far yet. And he's talking straight to them. Sometimes we just need somebody to talk straight to us, right? I'm glad somebody talked straight to me, talked some sense into myself. Got me on the straight and narrow and helped me understand that, man, I don't have life figured out. And I never will have life all figured out. But if I will just trust him and I'll begin to let him do his thing. Come on. And so Jesus is like, you guys, you got, you, are you that foolish? You have forgotten all the things that have been said over the years that this is God's will. This is God's way. And he began to teach them and go over the scriptures with them from days of Moses all the way to now. And all the scriptures and the foreshadowing of the Old Testament. See, the Old Testament is just not some ancient historical book. The Old Testament is full of the foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Okay, so you, when you read that, you read parts of the Bible in the Old Testament, you need to understand there, there are parts of that all throughout, layers upon layers, that there's this foreshadow of Jesus Because it's always been God's will for Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, his one and only son to come. Okay? And so it's all the way through there. And he began to teach them and show them and and all these things concerning himself. And so then it it picks up and it says they were were getting to uh, the end of their journey. Now here's something that, that, that we can pick up on. Because we're reading this, we understand the story. We already know it's already happened and we have the, that, um, that advantage of knowing, oh, that was Jesus walking with them. They, they just didn't know that. But we, uh, we know that now. And it shows us and demonstrates that Jesus really wants to be a part of our life. He even wants to be a part of those struggles. He wants to be a part of those moments in our life where we were wrestling with ourself. And we're wrestling with doubt. We're wrestling with our flesh. And we're, we're, we're going through the realness and the rawness of, a, of humanity. Jesus wants to be there. And so it shows us that he wants to be a part of our life. But in this conversation, in this seven-mile walk, this two-hour journey, it also shows us that Jesus is patient with us. He sat there and listened to these guys. The first thing he did was ask them a question. The second thing he did was just listen. A lot of times, somebody just needs us to listen. Because it's, all, it's never always about us. You get that? Life is never always about me, myself, and I. 
It involves us, but it's never truly all about us because ultimately God wants to use you to help other people know Him. And it shows His patience with us as He walked with them and endured them talking about what they thought God's plan was. And then it also shows us that Jesus, He really loves and He cares and He has compassion. Because he took the time to actually divert them from error to truth. He took them from false to reality. And it shows that's what real love does. That's what real love uh, care does. That's what real compassion does. It takes us from following error and false to following truth and reality. In fact, it was this conversation, this is the longest recorded dialogue Jesus ever had with anybody about his resurrection. And these are two people who are not prominent. They were not a part of the original 12. And only one of them gets their name mentioned, Cleopas. How would you like to have that name? Or is there, is there a Cleopas in here? That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> But it just shows us a few things about the heart of God towards us. And so then they got to the end of their journey. They reached the t- their, their seven miles. They were coming into their home. They could see their street. They were approaching their house. Two-hour walk. And it said that Jesus acted like he was going to go on. But they stopped and they said, no, it's late. Please stay with us. Please hang with us. Come in. We'll feed you. All, this, all these things. And so here's the thing, what they did. They invited Jesus into their home. At this point still, they didn't really know it was him. But there was something intriguing about him. There was something compelling about him. And folks, that's how God works. He's intriguing and he's compelling. And we need to learn to follow that. We need to learn to follow that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. His intriguing and his compelling. Yeah. It's pulling, and what it does, it pulls us from what we think we need for our life and what we think is best, and it pulls us towards know what is really right and righteous and holy for our life. And so they invited him into their home. Friends, Jesus wants to be invited into your life. If you want Jesus to be in your life, then you've got to ask him. Revelation 3.20 shows us that he stands at the door and knocks, hoping and waiting for that door to be open. And he says, if that man will open that door, I will come into his home and I will sit with him and I will talk with him and we will be companions and I will have communion with him and fellowship with him. But we've got to open the door. Perhaps your door is being knocked on more than you're willing to open. I know mine is. Sometimes I'm pretending to be asleep. I don't want to be bothered right now, Lord. I don't really want to have to go and do what you're telling me to do. Because it's going to make me get over myself, not have some pride, not have some selfishness. Come on, let's just face it. We all got some selfishness going on inside. We all have a selfish streak. Some of it's bigger in others and smaller in others. For me, sometimes it's pretty big. Being an only child, it just happened that way, you know. It just, it is what it is. Jesus is still working on me. <laughs> he gave me three girls, three daughters. I'm like, woo, you know what you're doing, don't you? 
Thank God for grandparents and good babysitters. Can I get an amen, grandparents? And, and mom and dad even, yeah, they were shouting. We got one standing back there like, yeah, thank God for the grandmamas. I don't know, I'd lose my mind without, my grand, without the grandparents. It, it, I don't know what I'd do. Anyway, I, just, I guess I just to tell you, I love you a lot, mom and dad. Thank you for helping us out. Thank you for putting up with me. They invited Jesus in. Then once he went inside, here's what happened. The story kind of shifted. His, his, his position kind of changed. He went from being guest, Jesus, to host in a house that wasn't his. But when Jesus is invited in, he knows just what to do. See, we think we got to clean up our, our life. We think we got to clean up all our mess. We think we got to hide all our stuff. Right? No, Jesus just walks up in there and he looks at us without judgment, without criticism, because he knows he is the best way there is to anything. In fact, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he knows that it'll just take a moment. They'll come around, they'll see who I am, they'll know what I'm about. I'm not here to hijack their life, I'm here to heal their life. And so he makes himself the host. And he takes the bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and then he gives it to them. And then it says right there in verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared. The nerve. (laughs) Jesus showing up and then disappearing. What is that all about? But this time, they were not hopeless. This time, something changed. Something shifted inside of them. And that that intimate, private, still moment with God, with Jesus, changed their life. They were at a place where they had made up their mind. They might have been going for a two-hour walk, but perhaps deeper in their hearts, they were never going to go back. You ever had some thoughts and maybe some actions or behaviors and you thought, I'm going to do this or think this, and, 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 but in, inside you're telling yourself, uh, and, and, and the Lord thinks I'm going to go and do his thing, but really I'm just going to keep on doing my thing. You ever been in that position before? Maybe you've been in a relationship, been in a context, a situation, and you thought, I, I'm just going to go on and kind of do what I want to do right now. And, and, and maybe, you know, I, I, I know the Lord's listening. He thinks I'm going to go back, but really I'm just going to keep on going over here. Right? But man, thank God for his long suffering, his patience, his mercy, and his grace that draws us to himself and to repentance. And so this time something was different. Their eyes were opened. They immediately recognized who he was. Oh, we've been talking with the Jesus of Nat. That. That's him, Cleopas and no name, talking to each other. And their eyes were open. They recognized, oh, this was him. But he's gone again. But here's what happened. Three things happened in their life in this story. Because of their God encounter, because of their Jesus encounter, they could now truly be a Jesus follower. 
said their hearts, they talked to each other at the table in their house. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us? First thing that happened was they were revived. Because of that quiet, still, intimate, private moment with Jesus. They, let, they were revived. said, so did not our hearts burn with us, within us as he was talking to us about the scriptures? See, something shifted within them. The first thing that ever happens to any one of us in our encounters with the Lord is something shifts on the inside. Something truly divine happens on the inside of us. See, these guys were coming alive. They were running from all the action. They were perhaps hiding from their destiny. They were running from their purpose. In their case, they were walking. Perhaps they just thought, we're not going to go back. We're just, we're just, what's the use? He's nowhere to be found. And here Jesus is walking with them through their struggle. Walking with them through their struggle. And then has this moment with them in their home because they invited him in. Serves them bread and their eyes pop open. They realize this is him. Their hearts began to burn. They were revived. But the second thing that also happened in their life at this moment. It says this in verse 33. It says, and within the hour. Not within the week, not within that year. But within that hour. They were on their way back to Jerusalem. So the second thing, they were revived, but then they, were, they repented. Repentant. Repentance is a change of direction. So not only did something shift on the inside of them, they became revived, but they had a shift in their direction. And so it said that within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. The life, let's just say over here was what technically, if you look at the map, Jerusalem's here. And it said they would walk, they were a seven-mile journey to Emmaus, a two-hour walk. And here this happens, this encounter, this private moment, this intimate moment with Jesus, this, this secluded moment with him. No one else is around but them and the Lord. And they have this encounter with them and they were revived. Their hearts began to burn on the inside of them. Something shifted in them and they became alive spiritually. And then they also, within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. It shows a demonstration of repentance. Folks, repentance is not just feeling sorry about something. But repentance is a change in our direction. That we perhaps were going in this one direction, but God gets a hold of us. God reveals himself. The Holy Spirit moves in our heart. The word of God comes alive. It just becomes clear. I see Jesus. Jesus becomes more to me than ever before. And it makes me not want to keep going and doing life my way. But I repent. I want to go and do life God's way. And repentance is not just something that happens one time in saying a prayer. But repentance, if you look throughout the entire Bible, it's a lifestyle. Because here's the thing, all of our hearts are prone to wander. Prone to wander. Prone to wander. Prone to wander. 
Jesus comes in my struggle. Jesus comes in my issue. Jesus comes in my, in my pain. Whatever it might be going on that in my heart and my mind might be telling me, you just need to keep going your way. Keep, you'll, it'll, you'll work it out. You'll deal with it. You'll make the changes. You'll do what you need to do. But the whole time, the enemy knows if you keep doing it your way, the further and further you get from God's will and God's purpose for your life. But God in his suffering, God in his patience, God in his love and care and compassion, he walks with us in our struggle and he meets us where we're at thank God he meets us where we're at thank God he meets us where we're at right where we're at he meets us and he meets us in such a way that compels us I don't want to keep going that way I want God I want to go your way and so repentance so that a change in direction and they were on their way back within the hour they didn't put it off they didn't say, you know what, when I, I kind of get some things taken care of and get a little courage built up, get, get some, maybe get a little Bible study under my belt, then maybe, maybe I might go on and do something that you want me to do. Maybe I'll turn my life over really and follow you wholly and completely when I really feel like doing it. And it said within the hour, they didn't put it off. True repentance doesn't put off God's purpose. But true repentance embraces it even when you don't understand it. And friends, there's a whole lot of things in life we just don't understand, right? But if we are not called to live by sight, we're called to live by faith. <clears throat> but if we, if we give into our sight, then we're going to give into our will. And we're going to give into what we want. But if we'll give into faith, God will always be faithful to us. Amen? Right. And so that they were revived. They repented at a shift in their direction. But then the third thing happens, verse 35. said, then the two of them went and told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them. They relived. They were reliving what they were called to live. They revived, they repented, and now they were reliving. There was a shift in their story. They actually had something good to talk about. And that is what our God so specializes in. He takes, he takes the worst days of our life and he turns them. And he gives us a good story, a new story of his rescue, of his redemption, of how he comes in and truly saves our life. But if we, if we wallow in our thing, our story is full of hopelessness and full of sorrow and full of defeat and full of shoulda, coulda, wouldas, full of regrets and full of all these things. If I could have just gone back, if I could have just gone back, if I could have just gone back. And Jesus specializes in redemption. And he put, redemption puts us where we're supposed to be in the time frame that God sees us being in there. So we don't have to work our way back, claw our way back, and do all those things in our own accord. No, his redemption puts us where we're supposed to be. And see, they were supposed to be with the other disciples. They were supposed to be right in the action. They were supposed to be right with everyone else. They were supposed to be right there waiting where Jesus said to wait. But if they'd have kept doing what they wanted to do, they would have missed 
And Jesus shows up and walks with them on that seven miles, that two-hour journey. Revives them, leads them into repentance. He said, your, your, your goodness and your kindness draws us to repentance, is what his scripture says. Your goodness and your kindness draws me to repentance. Makes me want to repent. Makes me want to turn from godliness and live for the Lord himself. And then it changed their story, shifted their story. Now they had something good to talk about, and they went back and shared their story. Three questions. When was the last time our hearts burned for the Lord? You see, the Lord is in the, in the middle and the process of working and doing some wonderful things in the hearts of of people across this world, but I also believe he's carved out a little special spot here in our church where he, that's why we were doing this series, we felt led to do this series, Revival God Encounters, because our encounters with him revives us, causes our hearts to burn for him. When was the last time your heart burned for him? Second question, when was the last time we actually repented to the Lord? Not out of guilt, not out of condemnation, not out of because, well, I'm going to church today, I better. But when was the last time we truly repented because we didn't want to keep going our way? Lord, I just want to go your way. And when was the last time we shared our story about our encounter with Jesus to somebody else? When was the last time? You see, there are people in our path who want to hear how you connect with Christ. There are people in our path who want to know how you're making it in life these days. And I know for some of us, we don't feel like we're making it along very well. And here's the deal. Jesus is here to meet you where you're at and to help you and to get you where you're called to be. And then let me just tell you this, it doesn't matter how long you follow Christ, how sincere your walk is with him, you're still going to make mistakes. So don't feel like you're all, you, you've got to get it all together, you've got to get perfect in order to serve the perfect God. No, the perfect God perfects his will in us as we trust him and walk with him. Amen? That's what he wants to do in our life. He wants us to have these kinds of moments with him like these two disciples did. I don't think it's by accident. Nothing's by accident in, in God's plan and God's story and his word. But these were not prominent people. These were not the prestigious ones. These were not the most outspoken ones. And here they were abandoning, leaving, walking away from what God had for them. And Jesus turns their life around. And it, it's, it's so neat the way it happens. It, they, they're sitting in their home. In other words, they're away from the busyness of everything. And to them, they were taking, it was, to them it was night, so they were calling it a day. But to the Lord, he was taking that moment of intimacy, of stillness, of quietness, of privacy. And he was making the most of those last few minutes that he had with them. And friends, it teaches us something that you and I, if we will carve out some private time, if we will carve out some stillness, some quietness, 
with Jesus, he'll cause your heart to burn for him. He'll cause you to want to live in a repentant way. Doesn't mean you walk around every day crying and sobbing over all your mistakes. It means, thank God, I'm guilty free. Thank God he's washed me. Thank God he's cleansed me. Thank God I'm not where I used to be. I know I'm not where I'm called to be, but I am on the way. And that he has a plan and a purpose for my life that always involves sharing his name with other people because he is the hope of the world. So, in your life, in my life, in our days, I like everything that God does in bigness and in, 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 in booming times and it's just the suddenly moments, but it's those private moments that make those big moments worthwhile. So don't settle and think You've got to wait and stick around for some big thing to happen. Begin to seek the Lord on a daily basis. Begin to talk to Him. Begin to share with Him. And if you want to know how to pray, the only way you're really going to know how to pray is if you read the Bible. Nobody can make you do it. Nobody can do it for you. But if you're struggling in getting in the Word, start in the New Testament. Start in the Gospel of John. Begin to read John's Gospel. and Begin to read it. Just focus on the words in red, the words of Christ. And you'll begin to see how alive Jesus really is. How awesome he really is. How big he really is. How powerful he really is. But also, how loving, how patient, how caring, how compassionate. Amen.